Hello, I'm Amanda Jezik, IDSA Senior Vice President of Public Policy and Government Relations. Welcome to IDSA's COVID-19 podcast series, which aims to keep IDSA members, medical professionals, and the public informed during the pandemic by speaking with experts in the field of infectious diseases. In this episode, we'll be discussing COVID-19 recovery and the special rehabilitation considerations and resources necessary to properly treat patients. Joining me to discuss this are IDSA member Dr. Anna Person with Vanderbilt University and Dr. Kristen England with the Cleveland Clinic. Both will discuss their personal experiences around recovering from COVID-19 and offer insight on how to help others recover more successfully. Thank you both for being with me. Dr. Person, I'll start with you. Last year, we had you on the podcast sharing your experience with having COVID-19, and while you aren't currently dealing with any long-term symptoms, you spoke of symptoms at least six months after your initial recovery. Can you talk about those and the gamut of symptoms that so many are experiencing? To be clear, I feel fully recovered now. Um, it took about six months, uh, but now I feel back to normal. And I think what was important for me to discuss is something that we really didn't have a lot of knowledge on early on. I had COVID in April 2020, which is a full year ago now, and it was pretty on early on in the pandemic. I had a very mild illness. I wasn't hospitalized. I had very little fever and I had no pulmonary symptoms. And yet, for some reason, I really struggled afterwards with, with brain fog, difficulty speaking up at meetings and remembering things, and a, a lot of fatigue. And I didn't understand why that would be with me having such a mild initial illness. And I really remember two things um, vividly. For months, it was the fatigue I would go on my daily run. And I remember looking at the grass next to me and thinking that wishing I could just lay down on the grass in the middle of my run and go to sleep in someone's lawn. I had to force myself not to lay down. And that just took a lot of time to get to get over. And another time I was reviewing and editing a manuscript and I got so confused by it, by the results section that I couldn't figure out if it was just a confusing section, if it was poorly written, or if it was my own brain that wasn't working. And I was really, you know, frustrated and frankly scared by all of this and I didn't have anyone to talk to to ask if they had similar experiences. There was only one other person I knew who had COVID a year ago. What brought me comfort was when that one other individual said he did have similar experiences. So, although to be honest, I feel a little sheepish sometimes talking about how much I struggled post-COVID with such a mild initial illness, I wanted to do so because I thought it might bring some others some comfort, like the comfort that I experienced when, when my colleague told me he had a similar struggle. And Dr. England, you yourself have also dealt with COVID-19. Did you experience symptoms after the acute illness phase? And are you experiencing any now? Similar experiences, actually. I was diagnosed the end of May with COVID, also did not have uh, significant respiratory symptoms, had a lot of GI symptoms, lots of just diarrhea, nausea, um, myalgias, just profound fatigue as well. 
one of the things that I also experienced was tremendous guilt because my son uh, got COVID at the same time, probably from me. So I think that was a lot that was uh, weighing on my mind, being very concerned about how ill he was going to get. Uh, but thankfully, he and I shared about the same kind of course. He did not get any respiratory compromise and neither of us had had to be hospitalized. You know, it, it, in the middle of the pandemic, uh, at that point in time, I think we allowed ourselves, you know, the compulsory two weeks to stay quarantined, and then everybody jumped right back into work. I, in retrospect, wish I had taken a little bit more time to kind of heal myself, not necessarily away from work, but I also tried to get back into Doing some running, I stayed on some Taekwondo that I had been doing, but didn't back myself down a step. I pushed forward just as hard as I had before, telling myself, come on, I'm not going to let this silly little virus beat me. And I think that prolonged my course. Uh, I really continued to have a lot of fatigue symptoms, could never really get back to my full um, exercise capacity. I think my balance was off when I was trying to do Taekwondo. Um, although I think my instructor will tell me I was always a bit clumsy, but I felt clumsier afterwards. And then I found that I was, you know, getting exhausted in the middle of the day. And I've never done this before, but I have a blanket and a pillow in my office. And I would take a 30 minute nap some days just because I would stare at the computer screen and feel exhausted. The other thing that I was noticing are a lot of arthralgias you know, at 56, there's going to be some arthralgias, but they've been much more pronounced afterwards. And after I got the COVID vaccine, oh my God, after the first vaccine, I woke up that next morning and every joint in my body was just on fire. I have new appreciation for what people uh, go through when they have rheumatoid arthritis, but it was so painful and yet so fascinating. I'm probably nearly back to normal a year later. Still can't quite reach my, my uh, pre-COVID uh, run, but hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. Yeah, Dr. England, you know, I think it's so important that you brought up the, the guilt piece um, because I really think a lot of folks are struggling with that. I also gave COVID to my parents. Uh, my mom and dad have spoken about this before, and that's just such a terrible feeling. Um, so I think, you know, it's not just the physical manifestations, but of course there's, there's also guilt. If you didn't, you know, transmit the virus to loved ones, you know, I have a lot of guilt that I had a mild case when so many others did not. Um, and, and so I think that's one part of this, this post-pandemic era that we really have to contend with. I'm so glad you brought it up. IDSA and the CDC present the COVID-19 Real-Time Learning Network. Timely COVID-19 information curated by clinicians for clinicians. Be the first to know. Visit IDSA's COVID-19 Real-Time Learning Network for the latest COVID-19 resources for the frontline healthcare community. Go to covid19learningnetwork.org. Thank you both so much for sharing those very personal insights and struggles. Dr. Person, as a COVID-19 survivor, how important is the creation of patient registries and post-COVID care centers for the long-term care of patients to continue to get the care they need beyond their acute illness? It's really heartening to know that the NIH is making this a funding priority. I think the gamut of post-COVID symptoms people are experiencing is so wide, as you're hearing just from the two of us. 
from symptoms that mo more closely mimic the post-ICU syndrome to you know, cardiac and pulmonary issues, of course, depression, anxiety that we're hearing about, memory issues, and then more subtle manifestations like my own, all, and all of these need to be captured. But, you know, and here, this is a, a plea. These really need to be, in my opinion, fully representative registries of post-COVID experiences. They can't just be of patients who have the means to seek care for these symptoms after their recovery. They can't just be registries of fully insured, high-resource survivors. You know, these post-COVID care centers and registries need to be fully accessible and fully capture all patients affected by COVID. And that means those who may not have insurance, who may not be documented, who may not have the means to give voice to their lingering symptoms on a podcast or anywhere, who may not be able to seek out medical care for their post-COVID issues because they don't have insurance or they can't miss work. Otherwise, I think we run the risk of further exacerbating the health disparities that we've already seen take such a toll on our communities during this pandemic. And then, of course, scientifically, we're not really capturing the full science, full spectrum of post-COVID effects. So I feel really strongly about this. In many ways, our post-COVID care could be an opportunity to make up for some of these gaps in our healthcare system if, if fully supported by funders and our institutions. Thank you. Those are critical points about equity. There are various recovery programs at hospitals across the country dedicated to treating those with long COVID symptoms. Dr. England, you oversee Cleveland Clinic's recovery clinic. What can you tell us about the most effective treatments to hasten recovery? What special rehabilitation is needed? Well, I wish we had a magic pill to make all the symptoms go away for patients, but unfortunately, there just is not that. You know, as Dr. Person mentioned, that every study and every paper that's coming out is really describing the, the, the wide variety, the plethora of symptoms that our patients are, are finding. So there can't be a one-size-fits-all treatment program. We really have to look at each individual patient, try to figure out how COVID has impacted them, and then set them on care paths to be able to meet their individual needs. So I, I think that what we are finding is that rehab is important in every aspect, whether it be physical therapy rehab for deconditioning or pulmonary rehab, uh, same as cardiac and, and even neurocognitive uh, rehab as well. So I think it's really important to, when you're developing a program, surround yourself with your experts uh, that have a true passion for it. I, I don't, you know, I've certainly reached out to my colleagues in each and every field because I don't want a patient to be going to see a specialist who doesn't have the experience in long COVID or may not be, have an interest in that. So we have a, a, a core team of folks from virtually every uh, department uh, who have raised their hand and said, I really want to help to understand this and help to treat these patients better. So again, I think the key thing is at this point in time, starting to understand uh, the, the breadth of patients' needs, but also start to look, do a deep dive into each individual patient to see what their specific needs are, and then be able to get them to the right people um, who have uh, shown a significant interest in this. 
Dr. Person, as you mentioned earlier, the COVID-19 pandemic has brought to light disparities within our healthcare system. I want to further explore the points that you raised about health equity. With rehabilitation so important, how can public health officials and those in ID work together to best reach the vulnerable and underserved populations so that they get the rehab resources they need? You know, I think this can be an opportunity for a lot of creative thought. We need to really reimagine, in my opinion, healthcare delivery systems in the, the face of COVID and the face of post-COVID to meet people where they're at. And I think the same creativity that has been brought to vaccination efforts, admittedly with you know some mi mixed success and lots of opportunities to improve, we could bring that same creativity to reaching vulnerable pop populations with post-COVID symptoms. And I think that's going to mean investments in infrastructure and funding from institutions and, and federal and local governments so that we don't limit post-COVID longitudinal care just to those with, with traditional insurance and make sure that you know, we have resources from employers for individuals to, to take time off work to seek ongoing rehab. That means childcare, that means support. I think it involves employers recognizing post-COVID symptoms as qualifiers for short-term and long-term disability. And it means we have to improve safety net programs for individuals and families who might be out of work. So, I mean, this includes things even going so far as to extend the moratorium on evictions, revisiting the issue with elected officials, really, that all policy is health policy and that everyone has a right to health care, certainly even after they've been discharged from a, a hospital. And I think we're really just seeing the tip of the iceberg in terms of post-COVID and its effects. And we have to really act now to ensure that this is not another way that disparities play out in the COVID pandemic. Those are absolutely wonderful points. And I agree, we need to be able to utilize a lot of different resources. One of my hopes is certainly that we'll be able to expand the use of telehealth uh, to reach folks in certain areas where we may not be able to put the you know, the, the, the hardwired infrastructure for rehab programs, but be able to accomplish some of this by interacting with shared medical appointments where patients talk about, you know, sleep hygiene, you know, better diets, better exercise uh, capabilities. You know, can we start to develop some, uh, some, some basic telemedicine um, uh, podcasts or something so that, so that patients can see how to go through a physical rehab program or maybe do some, you know, what I'm looking into is kind of a, a remedial Taekwondo component, just something that can start people at the basics and start them on a journey to recover their, their physical health again, but then also be able to use that to move forward throughout the rest of their life to remain healthy. And again, I, I really hope that there's going to be a lot of exploration of how to do this in a telemedicine kind of a format. And then we can really expand that to reaching people in hard to reach areas and in underserved areas. Distinction, excellence, service. Set yourself apart today. Become a fellow of IDSA. Visit idsociety.org slash FIDSA to apply by May 31st. Thank you, and great points about telemedicine. We've certainly heard from quite a number of uh, ID professionals and patients about the importance of really making the best use we can of, of telehealth technologies. At this point, I'd like to give each of you an opportunity to offer some final thoughts before we wrap up. Dr. England, let's start with you. Any final thoughts to add? 
Well, I'm just looking this morning at all of the different articles that have come out over the weekend, starting to address this and really recognizing post-COVID as a, a true medical entity. I, I think there were a lot of questions early on, almost kind of a brushing it under the rug as just another kind of a chronic fatigue type illness. It was difficult to talk about the symptoms that you were having because you didn't want to be seen as, as, as a lingerer. Now that we're seeing the breadth of information starting to roll out, I think this is going to help us as clinicians to be able to fully uh, embrace this as a need and also help our patients to basically when, when they come to our clinics, they're able to be validated. And we're saying to them, this is real and we really want to help you. So the more information we get, the better for everybody believe our patients, right? I think this is a novel virus and we're seeing novel responses to that virus. And, and that means we need to believe our patients when they're telling us what they're experiencing. So this, I think, is a tremendous time for the importance of advocacy. For me, that means an opportunity, as I mentioned, to reimagine the healthcare system. And it has to be an inclusive reimagining that extends outside of brick and mortar buildings and allows the most vulnerable in our community to really be at the absolute center of all these attempts at approving care as it relates to COVID responses and to post-COVID responses. And I think if we're going to offer people the healthcare that they deserve as they recover from COVID, that really means that we have to get creative about rethinking our current healthcare system and uh, attempt to address the shortcomings that we've experienced thus far. At this time, I'd like to thank Doctors Person and England for sharing their personal stories and for their time, participation, and expertise. For the latest information and resources on the COVID-19 pandemic, visit IDSA's real-time learning network, covid19learningnetwork.org. Tune in next time as another diverse panel of medical experts discusses the latest on this rapidly evolving pandemic. I'm Amanda Jezik. Thank you for joining us. The views and opinions expressed here are those of the presenters and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Involvement of CDC should not be viewed as endorsement of any entity or individual involved with the podcast.